You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Terry Riley, titled, A Father's Prayer and Hope. For more information, please visit creekside.org. I want to talk to you this morning about a father's prayer and hope. And uh, this is, <clears throat> while I'm, I'm, I'm directing it really towards dads in, in a number of ways, but it's really for the ladies. It's for anybody. It's for everybody in our church. And as you'll see as I make some application, Father's Day really isn't near as big as Mother's Day, is it? I mean, the florist doesn't get as much business. The card sales aren't nearly as profitable. And church attendance is often down. Why? Because a lot of dads, they either want to go golf or they want to stay home and watch golf or they just go, well, I just stay home. That's going to be my gift. Whereas the moms, they say, here's my gift. Go to church with me. It's kind of unique, isn't it? Telephone company shows that Mother's Day is the busiest day of the year for, busiest day of the year for phone calls. Father's Day ranks a distant third behind Mother's Day and Christmas. And the interesting thing is, is that they were able to track this because the telephone calls on Father's Day are usually longer, and they calculated this because they're usually collect calls. (laughs) Go figure. The great comedian, Billy Crystal, uh, he has some daughters, and uh, when one of his daughters turned 11, he was in New York filming a movie, and he called her long distance, and he said, honey, I, I just really want to apologize for the heavy workload uh, that I'm involved in, and, and, uh, and I promise you that tomorrow, she was in California, he was in New York, and he promised her, he says, tomorrow, there's going to be this big package from me that's going to be delivered to the house. Well, later that day, he flew from New York to Los Angeles, and when his daughter, Lindsay, opened the door, there was this big life-size box there, six-foot carton that greeted her. She began to rip it open, and as she got into it, she opened in the spot, and she discovered that her dad was inside. Billy says, you know what? She sat there, and she hugged me, and she kissed me, and just held on to me and laughed for five minutes. It was unbelievable, he said. He said, I missed 25 birthdays with my dad. I made a determination that I would not let that happen with my girls. And he goes on and he tells in the story that he was 15 when his father died of a massive heart attack. The Bible teaches us in Psalm 90, verse 12, it says this, that we're to number our days to develop a heart toward wisdom, a wisdom of how to live, a wisdom of how to be and to become. We have this thing, you know, that sometimes as, 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 as people, we, we turn our days into weeks and our weeks into months, and pretty soon those months become years, and before you know it, we've literally lived a lifetime. I was thinking about numbers. Consider this number, 28,835. Any guesses what that number is? That's the number of days that the average life expectancy is today. We'll live an average of a little over 28,000 days Here's the alarming thing. I realized I'm almost at 21,000. Well, don't laugh. Some of you are less. Come on. But it is. But when you, when you start thinking in those terms, you go, wow. Some of us are left uh, less and some of us are a little bit farther. But as I look around, it looks like some of you received some extra credit days. And um, 
I won't go any further than that. But how about this number, 11,223? You know what that number represents? That's the number of days. If you spend 43, you get out of college at 22 or you go to work at 22, let's say, and uh, you work for 43 years till you're 65, uh, five days a week, that's the number of days that you'll give towards your profession and working. Here's one, 11,703 days. Any idea what that is? What's that? Sleeping. No, that's the last time in January 22nd, 1984, that the Raiders won a Super Bowl. And, uh, and, uh, and we don't know how many more it will be. Just saying, yeah. I found the purpose of my life over the course of about a year's time uh, when I was a senior and, and graduated out of high school, that my dad made me go to church. Made me go. It was there that I really began to consider the claims of Christ for my life. And I think that God doesn't want us to teach us not just how to die. God doesn't want us to learn just how to die and to number our days in that way. But he wants us to teach us how to really live and to live out our life and our days. I see a lot of young fathers around Creekside. This just really blesses me who make this concerted effort to be exceptional fathers today. Maybe it's because their fathers weren't around much when they were growing up. And they just simply said, you know what? I'm going to do this better than what my dad did. Because I want to be a better role model. But I think that it could also be because dads are more concerned today, maybe about the decay of our culture. We hear about the shootings in school, the drug addictions, the teenage pregnancies, the suicides. And you know what? We're just really determined to insulate our kids against these threats. Christian fathers, though, don't we understand? We know uh, that the answer is not really more teen curfews. It's not tougher gun laws, necessarily, and it's not harsher drug penalties and metal detectors at the entrances of schools. If you're a Christ-following father, you know the ultimate solution is a change of heart for our children to learn God's will and God's ways because we're building a home that honors God. The Bible says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. You can do all that you want, dads, moms. We can do everything as right as we think we can do it. But here's the deal. If God isn't involved, it's probably not going to be built very sturdily. Genesis 18, 19, there on your note says this. God is speaking about this great man, Abraham, who's the father of our faith. And it says this in Genesis 18, 19. For I've chosen Abraham, so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. And this is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised. See, Abraham was an incredibly honored father. He not only was the father of our faith, but God says, this is a man that I can trust. This is a man that I'm going to speak to because this is what I know. He'll raise his family in the things of God. It wasn't about Abraham having an accumulation of knowledge, but it was because of his communication to his family about the things of God and the ways of God. And it's critical for fathers today who want to be honored by God. It's not just to deposit and download Bible facts into their kids' lives, but that they teach them how to honor God. See, Abraham was a man of faith, and he trusted God's word, and he followed God's guidelines for his life 
for his personal life, and then for his family. He was a man of obedience. Whatever God said, he did. He was a man who loved his wife, Sarah, deeply. If you read, read later in the book of Genesis, you'll see this incredible love affair that he had with his wife, Sarah, and how moving it was and how he took care of her and her body when she died. He was a model of growth, not perfection, because he had some times where he, he made some pretty big mistakes. But here's the deal. You'll see this from the beginning of his calling in Genesis chapter 12, verse 8. We see that he's a man of prayer. From the start of his calling, he would build altars, and he prayed to God throughout his life. I was thinking about this <clears throat> because of what happened last weekend, and I don't want to be a Donnie Downer this morning on Father's Day, but I do believe there's a prophetic word that I want to speak to us dads, and really to us as a church, and to us as parents, because it's easy, you know, you, you, you have to deal with reality, you have to define what's happening out there, and I believe there's really realities that press our kids and our students today, literally everybody, but especially our kids and our students. First of all, we live in evil times, don't we? Fathers, mothers everywhere, you can't miss it from Martinez to Florida. You cannot help but be aware of what is going on in this world and wonder, are you kidding me? How much worse can it get? How much longer can it go? And our kids today are facing things that we as parents never faced. And I don't say that as an excuse because I'm always, because I, I don't believe that even from Jesus' time until today that things are necessarily that bad in a lot of areas except the, the, the lack of value that we have for life. Let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, Paul is writing to his son in the faith. And he's just kind of giving him a warning. And he says, these are the times that you're going to have to minister in, Timothy. So be ready. He says, but know this, difficult times are going to come. These are words that are really important because these are some of the last words that Paul speaks. Because it's going to be shortly that he's going to die. And he says this, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. They'll be slanderers. They'll live without control. They'll be brutal without love for what is good. Boys, aren't those, aren't those just great traits to express what we're seeing today? They'll be reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. They'll hold to a form of religion, but denying its power. And he says, I want you to avoid these people. When he talks about brutal, when he talks about difficult days, it's literally he, the, the idea there that he's conveying is these are going to be ferocious evil days. It's, it's the idea that there's going to be almost like this roaming beast just going around. And destroying people. Ah, 1 Peter 5, 8, isn't that what it says? That the devil is like an enemy who runs around, who roams around like a, like a beast who's just waiting to devour anybody and anything that he can find. There's evil in our world today. And at some point, we have to understand it. Where does it come from? Oh, it's just, you know, psychological things that people are involved in. Yeah, there's probably some of that. 
But we can never forget that there's a devil who Jesus literally said in John 10, 10, that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy from every person, from every sector of life. And I didn't find out because I don't usually check the newspaper or the, anything or the TV in the morning. I get up and I do some, you know, kind of get ready for Sunday. And so I didn't find out about Florida until second service of last week. And then I had to make a decision, okay, what am I going to do on that? And I just, I, I, I didn't, I decided not to pray, but I want to pray right now. I want to pray uh, just, just for that state and for Orlando and for those families because there really is evil that, that's taking lives. We see just this, another hate crime. We see another large, the largest mass murder in the U.S. And what concerns me is these continue to escalate number of victims. There's a deeper and greater hate involved, and it's almost as if they're coming closer together now. You know, whether it's ISIS or whether it's just some deranged person, I don't know, that's not my issue. I just want to pray for them, and I want to kind of lead us to the importance of praying for our kids. Father, I want to pray, Lord, today for your goodness upon our nation. I want to thank you for the freedoms that we have. And Lord, I pray for that community, that God, you would touch them in Jesus' name, that you'd bring healing and health. But I pray for the gay community, that, Lord, that they would not have to live in fear, regardless of our stance. I pray, Lord, that no people would live with this oppressed fear of what can happen to them because they gather. I pray that over our United States, God, that you would protect our schools and, Lord, now be with these families that have lost loved ones. Be with that community of Orlando, God, that leaves such an indelible mark, a scar upon them. And, Lord, upon those families, bring wholeness. Bring, bring people to you, Lord, because of what happened. And I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These are evil days. We see all of these things taking place. You probably read about it last Sunday. A man was arrested because he was coming from Indiana uh, to Los Angeles to go to a, uh, to a gay parade. He had 15 pounds of explosive, an assault rifle on him, and plenty of ammunition. And they, they found him, and they arrested him in Santa Monica. We have this media blitz that makes death so common that we live and we see it in such large quantities today. It's just kind of like, huh? oh, well, yeah, another killing. <laughs> it's interesting. It's not new. I was a substitute teacher in 1989 before I became a full-time teacher in 1990, and I was substituting at this school that I actually became a full-time teacher, and I taught junior high. There was a young man. His name was Birdo. And I just looked it up again last night. I Googled it and just to see if, if it was any information on it. And sure enough, it was still there. This young boy, he was 15. He was dating this girl. She was a seventh grader. He was in my class. And um, <clears throat> uh, the dad uh, was just, just totally just did not like him, Berto, and his friend. And she, he was trying to get his seventh grade daughter away from him, not around him. And uh, he, lit, he worked for some aeronautical, space aeronautical thing. And he was almost on the verge of quitting um, and, and moving away so that he could protect his daughter. What's amazing is, is what happened is Berto and his friend went over to his house, laid in wait, and they killed him, bludgeoned him to death, put salt in his wounds. I mean, just literally tortured this man. Come to find out in a short time, 
that the girl was part of this conspiracy. See, we live in evil times. We can't get around it. And sometimes it hits much closer to us than we could ever believe or imagine. There's oppressive circumstances around us. Many grow up in dysfunctional homes with 50% of the homes now have a single parent dwelling. This, this isn't to pile on to anyone who's gone through divorce. I would never do that. I, was a, I, I, went, I saw my dad go through two, almost three, so I have, a, I have a heart for those in divorce. But here's the reality. It affects kids in their growing up years and into their adult life. Many children are growing up fatherless. Many children are growing up with an absentee parent, an absentee father, physically, emotionally. I could give so much data on this, but it would just be overkill, and that would be a downer. But you can look it up. You can begin to see the effects on many of the issues of our society today because of these oppressive circumstances that are taking place in our homes. And then we have students and people that have totally lost values. It is never right to get the right thing in the wrong way, whether it's good grades or wealth or power or position. It is important that we teach our children that, we, that they don't sacrifice their personal godly principles. Our postmodern culture has absolutely no clear-cut values or absolutes other than this. Do what's right in your own eyes. And if you begin to read, in, even in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, that was the overlying theme of the book of, of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and they moved into really decadence and, and, uh, and despondency and God's judgment. We have to teach our children godly principles because these are perilous times. So how... How, how then shall we pray for God's spirit to work? Now, dads, I want to take off the gloves with you for just a few minutes because we don't get a second shot with our kids. We might get mulligans in golf, and we surely get a lot of mulligans with God, but here's the sad thing with our kids. It's one shot. And I was thinking, what is it that we can do? We, we must live out and show the world. Listen, I, I had this thought this week. We've got to live out and show the world that our faith has something to offer this world. It's got something to offer students. It's got something to offer children. It's got something to offer adults. It's got something to offer everybody. See, when God saw our need, he saw the sin, sinful condition of human beings, and he decided in his great love to get on our page. He sent his son into this world. He sent his son wrapped in human flesh. That son taught, Jesus taught in our environment. And then he died our death. God said, I love you enough to get on your page. He didn't say, get on mine. And this is the powerful thing. You know what we see now? After Jesus ascended, Hebrews tell us that Jesus lives in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father to do what? To pray for his kids. To make intercession for you and me. And I want to look at four areas to pray for in terms of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our kids. I told some people in the recent weeks that I'm getting back into the, uh, into the book of Luke, excuse me, the book of Acts, who was written, which was written by Luke. And the focal point is it's called the book of Acts, but it really should be called the book of the Holy Spirit, because from beginning to end, you see this movement. You see this ebb and flow. 
in the space and time of about 60 years in the book of Acts, where you see this work of the Holy Spirit moving on people, changing people, changing the church, moving the church forward. And I thought, that's what I want to begin to see again. I want to see the move of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, upon our kids. That's what we've been talking about. The character counts for a number of weeks. What did we say that it's tied into? You can't produce that character on your own. It's because there is a connection not only to the Jesus Christ that we abide in, but that there's a work of the residing Holy Spirit that's in us and upon us that begins to bring these things about. Notice what Acts chapter 2 says if you have your Bible. Acts chapter 2. Maybe for some that have grown up in the church, this is going to sound very familiar. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. They've just been filled with God's Spirit because Jesus said that when I leave, you're going to have a comforter that's going to fill you. And so all these people are standing outside because these people are speaking in these tongues in the upper room. And people think they're drunk, people think they're crazy. But then Peter comes and he begins to explain it. And he says, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. When are the last days? A lot of times we think it's forward. But it started here when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. And notice this, and your sons and your daughters, they will be so moved by the Holy Spirit, they will prophesy, they will speak those things that I would speak. They will produce songs that would focus on me. Your sons and your daughters and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves and in those days they will prophesy and I will display wonders. See, that's what I want to see. But I want to be praying for that. How can we best cooperate with God? We can just go, oh, yeah, okay, oh, yeah, oh, sweet. Yeah, go ahead and do that, God. But there's always a cooperative effort between what God says and then how we react and we respond to it. And I want to see the Spirit of God come upon our church, upon our children, upon their lives. So I want to give you four things to pray for for your children. Dads, I want to challenge you first and foremost to be the leader of your home that does this. First thing I want you to see is to pray for a spirit of hope that doesn't disappoint. Romans 5.5 5 says this, all of these are resident because of and in line with God's spirit working in us. It says this hope does not disappoint because God's love has been shed abroad, excuse me, has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What is hope? Hope is, is, is the absolute expectation of coming good. How many of us even in this room live with an expectation of coming good? I mean, you get up in the morning and you read the paper, you watch the news. There's not a whole lot of expectation for coming good out of that. But that's why we've got to have the spirit of hope found in God. Kids today need that. Kids need that today as many look around and they lose hope for their future. They lose hope for something better. How can they move forward? 
But they've got to know, they've got to hear God is at work. We want to pray that they won't be disappointed in what they see, but they can rise up and begin to believe God and to know God, that, he will, that they will live for God and they will see this preferable future because of their relationship with Christ and they can begin to move in the power of God's Spirit. Dad, you know how that's going to begin to happen? Where you begin to believe and you begin to pray over your kids. God, give them this spirit of love and faith and hope that will not disappoint them. Give them a forward look for where they are and where they're going. Don't let the things of this world dismantle their faith and their hope in the things of their future. How about this, a spirit of faith for a spiritual youth movement. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13 and 14. It says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, in accordance with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak. When we believe, we speak, we share it, we talk about it, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and he will present us with you. Where does that spirit of faith come from? It comes from the one who raised Jesus. Who raised Jesus? It was the power of the spirit of God. And he's saying, this is what I want you to know because God's spirit is at work in you and it's at work in them. They can be people who can grow a spirit of faith and this is what they can do. They can rise up and they can begin to speak the things of God wherever they are. They will speak differently about their present and their future. Have you ever talked to people that whenever you're with them, everything is down, 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 down? There's no hope. Do they really believe in what God says? Well, you know, well, just look at Florida. Just look at Columbine. Just look at, no, no, I know. That's reality. But what about the truth? That God says, I give you a preferable hope and a future. I believe, therefore, I'm going to speak what God speaks. I'm not going to bury my head in the sand. I'm not going to deny reality, but I'm going to begin to speak truth. I'm going to begin to speak what God says about the situations. The greater is he than he that is in the world. And because I believe that, he's in me. And the Spirit of God is in this world still, resident because of us. And we can give hope. Our world needs fire starters who speak words of faith and hope and joy, not cynicism, doubt, and fear. When you go to work on a Monday and you hear people talk about Orlando or wherever they talk about it, what do you say? Do you infuse hope in them? And not some kind of stupid Christian cliches where you can say, you know what? That's a sad, that breaks my heart. But I serve a God that I'm going to trust will bring healing to those families because I'm praying for them. Our church is going to pray for them. I believe in God. Therefore, I'm going to speak what he speaks. And it's not some kind of pie in the sky, Holy Ghost gibberish, but it's this thing where we just speak God's word. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is this God who lives in me in the world than the enemy of our life and our soul. How about a spirit of wisdom? This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs chapter 1. Let me just read it to you. 
Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 says, This wisdom calls out in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. What does? Wisdom. Wisdom is calling out. What's, what's wisdom? And really in Proverbs, it's the idea, this person of Christ, he's speaking out. Uh, it, it's in Colossians chapter 2. It says that all of the wisdom of God, the treasures of wisdom are found in who? Christ Jesus. He says, how long, foolish ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking in the fools? Ah, but if you turn to my discipline, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words, my wisdom. I love that. See, dads, moms, we don't just pray that our kids, we don't believe that our kids or just give them an accumulation of knowledge but we ask God, let there be a pouring out of wisdom with that knowledge. Because see, if you just get a lot of knowledge, you know what you're going to do? You're just going to become a highly religious person. But with that knowledge, if you have wisdom, you will be able to apply it. And you will be able to understand God at deeper levels. And then you will begin to apply it into the world that you live. See, too many Christians right now, too many Christ followers, they've got knowledge in their head. And they know how to speak it, but they don't know how to communicate it in they don't know how to live it in a loving environment. I mean, some of you probably read some of the, excuse me, stupid things that Christians would say, and even some pastors about Orlando. I don't have time to get into the, you know, the theological issues of everything and the biblical beliefs, but can I just tell you something? There has to be wisdom in how we communicate to a world that doesn't even believe. All the good things that we try and do, they still reject. We have to figure out a way to be truthful, but do it not just with knowledge, but with the wisdom and heart of Jesus Christ. And when you're praying for your kids, that's what I want us to pray for. That's what I want us to pray for the youth in our church. God, Give them an ability, a, a spirit-inspired ability to speak into this culture. To speak about the things of God in a way that people go, wow, that makes sense. It doesn't turn them off. It doesn't just make them mad. We don't say those crazy things that so many Christians say out there. Oh, it's God's judgment. Oh, geez, are you kidding me? Put that thing to rest. God's heart is for every person, gay, straight, ethnicity, whoever. Until the day they die, God's heart is toward them to lead them to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3. I do not believe God's judgment comes until the end of this dispensation of grace. That's what Jesus said, John 6, uh, 16 and 7, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, period. But don't stop there, because Jesus says, I did not come to judge the world. I come to lead them to repentance, to him. And we still live under that banner, loved ones. And we've got to teach our kids. Not to look down upon, but to use the wisdom of God to speak in to their culture. 
and they will learn that from us. And the last one is a spirit of freedom and transformation. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I love that. Wherever God's spirit is, there's great freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed or changed into the same image of Christ from glory to glory or experience to experience because this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Could you imagine if we prayed that for our kids? The greatest freedom comes where God's spirit is at work and he can release people from the bondages of life. Pray for the spirit to be unleashed in your children, our students of this church, our students of this community so that we can lead them into understanding of living in freedom, free from the bondages of the things that can can bind them up, whether it's drugs, alcohol, illicit relationships, bad family relationships, broken family, dysfunction. We want to pray that they can move into freedom so they're being changed into the image of Jesus Christ through every experience that they face. Why? So they become more like Jesus to everybody around them. So when they step on that high school, that junior high, that little kid's campus, they begin to speak the things of Jesus Christ. They begin to act like Jesus Christ. They begin to be a change agent, not changed by the culture around them. I want to pray that. I want to pray that God's spirit does these things in your children, my children, my grandson, our community. Imagine if we just started praying these things. Dads, we start with us. We're called to lead our homes. We're called to be the priests of our homes. What if we just started praying this three times a week? You take two minutes, three minutes a day, and you just get on your knees or you just sit in your office or you sit in your car, whatever, wherever you would do it. But you make it a disciplined effect to begin to say, God, would you fill my son and my daughter with a spirit of hope that doesn't disappoint? That they begin to really believe that because your spirit is in them, they have a preferable future. I want to pray for a spiritual youth movement in my kids in our church, and in our community, that because they really do begin to believe what God says, they're not embarrassed, and they can begin to speak it, and they can begin to live it, because they begin to know and understand that greater are you than he that is in this world. They don't have to fear the enemy of their soul. They don't have to fear the things that go on in our community. They simply get to speak life and hope into it. And then give them a wisdom that can take these things of God and make them real and palatable, even sweet as honeycomb to the people around them. And God, I pray that there would begin to be this freedom that would envelop our kids because they understand what it's like to walk and to live with the Spirit of God. Imagine dads, imagine moms, imagine Creeksiders, what would happen? Can you imagine if maybe, just maybe, we begin to make these a concerted prayer for the next season? 
We try and do all of our stuff, but, but unless the Lord builds the house, we're so limited. But what if we begin to pray for these things? And we say, Lord, you've got to build this thing. You've got to build our homes. You've got to build our church. You've got to build our communities. And we're, we're going to trust and we're going to believe. We're going to look to and we're going to pray to you. Some of us, maybe you say, I don't know, it's really hard. I didn't have a father. I didn't have a father that built that stuff into me. I didn't either, except he made me go to church. And then when I went to church, I heard this lethal message. And then I made the most life-altering decision that I could ever make after about a year. But you say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't I can't do I don't know, Pastor. You're a preacher. You could probably do it. Well, I didn't start out a preacher. See, God has built, if you're here today, men and women, men, I want to tell you, women don't usually have a problem with this, but men, I want to tell you, God's got the right stuff in you today for you to do this. Psalm 68, it's where it describes God as being a father to the fatherless. God says, if you will simply trust me and if you will lean on me, I will parent you. I will be a father to you. I will help shape you. We all, listen, more than ever need God's touch upon our life to father and to parent effectively. How do you get involved? How do you get God involved in your life like that? How does it happen? Well, the first thing is, is you get over your pride and your ego and, you know, the acting that you got everything together because we don't. I suppose the best way, imagine that uh, if I go to a club to work out, it's probably a stretch of imagination for some of you, but I go in there and there's all these guys and gals around and they're just all buffed out and they're just pumping the, pumping the weights. Uh, tr truthfully, this would be, this is the, I would go in there, I'd be intimidated and I'd be self-conscious. So I think, well, what should I do? So I walk over and I get me a little bar for the bench press. This would probably be a hint to me that when I struggle just to lift this bar with no weight on it to bench press, I'm probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. But because I'm me, I start loading the bar with weight. You know, too much, because that bar is now on the little cross thing, and I just start putting weights on it. Because you can't just go with the bar. I mean, can you imagine me with the bar? <laughs> that would be embarrassing. So I put on weight and I end up putting on more weight than I probably should. And then I go, I pick it up. And I pull it out. I bring it down to my chest. And I go, oh, Houston, we've got a problem. I can't budge this thing. And I'm grunting and I'm groaning and I'm gasping and I'm turning red. And wouldn't you know that there's this cute little gal over here built like crazy. And I, all I have to say is one word. Spot, spotter, I need some help. And you know what? She'd come over and help me. But not me. My pride and my ego's too great. I'm going to get this thing up. I'm going to take care of this. But then eventually I would reach a point of desperation where the desperation would outweigh my ego and my pride. And I'd say, And she comes over, lifts the thing up, 
See, there comes this time in our lives, dads, where we have to humble ourselves and say, God, help me because I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the relational intelligence. I don't have the strength for this. God, I'm going to give you my best shot. I'll read some books. I'll adjust my schedule. I'm going to do my part to the best that I can, but God, I need your help. I can't do without you. I'm going to ask you guys, have you done that? Because here's the deal. This is what I know about my life and probably most of us here. If I don't pray, I believe I can do it. I don't need God. It's when I get desperate and I understand the limitations of my capabilities and my strengths and I begin to pray and to call out to God. I go, that's what I need. Without that kind of commitment in these evil devouring days, days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And before you know it, your life slips away. You might get 20,000 days to mark your kids. You might get less. But don't waste a single one of them by trying to just figure everything out on your own without the presence of God. Begin to show your dependence. Begin to show that you don't have it all figured out and call on God to say, God, I want an outpouring of your spirit upon my kids. Do what I can't do. And then help me to do what I can do. I want to invite our dads just to stand if they would. Grandpas, if you're a grandpa or a dad, I guess you'd have to be one or the other. Or both, I mean. So why don't you stand? I just want to say, I, you know, our, our church is really blessed because of the number of men that we have. And the fact that we have, I, I love this because we do have a lot of men who, who just, you, know, you, you make an incredible covering here and, and you're, you're working hard to become godly men. I just, I just want you to acknowledge and say thank you to these guys. I'm proud of you guys. But dads, I want to challenge you, and grandpas, I want you to hear this before we pray. The role you play in your child's life, no matter how old they are, is, is of incredible value. Your call is to model personal growth, not perfection, because your sons and your daughters need you. They need your counsel. They need your example. They need to see you be a man of faith, and they need to see you love their mother and they need your prayers, and you need to pray. That's why even on Wednesdays, one Wednesday a month, if you have the ability, I want to invite you to come and pray. These are some of the things we're going to be praying about. We're going to be praying about your kids and your grandkids, the future of this church for our high school, our junior high, and our kids, our, our, our primary and uh, elementary schools for the kids. We have to see a revival of the Spirit of God in the generations.